Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Believe Knicks podcast. I am Matthew Miranda, joined by Stacey Patton. Even half a world of distance cannot keep apart, particularly when there is a lot to talk about in the world of the Knicks, and it has been a very exciting time in the world of the Knicks. Um, There's pretty much no end to the things that we can talk about. Um, so let's get the obligatories out of the way. Uh, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online with live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Um, Stacey Patton, where the pod starts is laid at your feet. There is no end to what there is to talk about with this team right now. Um what's the first thing that pops into your mind or into your spirit when you think about where we are? Um, I mean, pretty much everything. Uh, it's There's so many storylines um, that it's almost tough to um, – it almost feels like every single player on the Knicks, I could say, man, we really should be talking more about this guy, right? Here's an example uh, that no one is really talking about that much. Like if you bring him up, people will be like, oh, yeah, he's been playing well. The Knicks had a rotation player who was whose minutes they were losing quite a bit. He was a free agent acquisition on a team that has had some up and down luck with those. And, um, you know, the guy in front of him went down. And, you know, his weakness was defensive rebounding on this team. And he turned into one of the best defensive rebounders in the league. He held the fort down until Mitch came back. And... Um, and Isaiah Hartenstein has really improved and has been has given the Knicks the best backup big they've had really in the Thibodeau era. I mean, New Orleans Noel was pretty good in 2020, but um, you know I would have to say Hartenstein right now is playing better than that, more well-rounded to say the least. And that's just like you get. There's so many guys, right? We probably haven't talked enough about how rare it is to just you know you think about a lot of these trades these mid-season trade deadline trades for playoff teams it can be tough to incorporate new guys how often do you guys see a guy fit in as seamlessly as josh hart um we probably still aren't talking enough about the fact that jalen brunson is on a steal of a deal although more i mean he's playing like a max player he's playing an all nba player making 20 million dollars a year um you know if i wanted to be really reckless i would say this is probably the best value contract i can't remember a star a max player who wasn't on a rookie deal playing this well since 
a certain Golden State Warrior had questionable ankles his first few years and ended up signing for 11 or $12 million, which opened the way for, uh, which helped them, you know, build around them, right? Um, we yeah, probably aren't talking enough about how much Randall has grown. So, like, every player has contributed. Um, I would even say, I mean, RJ Barrett is catching a lot of flack, but I think a big part of that is, like, the other guys on who play the same position are that good. I don't think RJ has been that bad. Um, I think he still gives them a skill set that's useful. Like, I don't know if we've, if, in my time as a Knicks fan, honestly, since the 99 run, I would have to say, I can't remember the vibes being this good. I don't think they were ever this good in the Dan era. I don't think even in 2012, 2013, like we're, there was, there's no weakness on the roster right now. They, do they, I mean, does that mean I think they're going to go all the way? I'm starting to entertain that it's possible, which is maybe the craziest thing of all. Uh, sorry, I just talked for a lot, Matt. But the, the long and short of it is, like, the fact is that I could pick, I could literally mention every rotation player on the Knicks and talk about how their contributions are still not getting talked about enough because there's only so much you can talk about and you have to talk about everyone, you know? So it strikes me hearing what you just said at the end there, especially. Um, I think the vibes a couple of years ago were also when this team got on a roll late in the season um, behind Randall. I think I think the vibes are better now because I think I was thinking about this the other day. Like a couple of years ago, late in that season, the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Heat were all kind of swirling around that four or five six spot. Yeah, and I remember being very concerned about getting Miami. Like yep. I felt very nervous that the Knicks had had this really nice season and they were going to get like the worst team they could get in the first round, and it was going to like kill the vibes and. And as it turned out, Atlanta did that. But um, two years ago, I'm terrified of Miami. And this year, like, really over seven games. Span of seven games, it's remarkable to me how far everything has come. And it's not just seven games. Like, this team has been playing at a high level really since December. Since And, and you know what um, gave me confidence, really, in that? Because yeah. I, I was talking with Schwinn about this, and... You know, Schwinn has been more critical of, of a lot of the decisions in the play, but he's been higher, I think, on the overall ceiling going back to the summer. So right after Mitch got hurt, the Knicks were facing about a 15 or 17 game stretch where I was like, man, even four or five wins will be tough here. And, and Mitch is out. And they finished that stretch with, I think, eight or nine or 10 wins. And they basically, they, they, didn't, they didn't win a ton of games but they played better than they had been playing despite Mitchell Robinson being out. A huge part of that was that Isaiah Hardenstein, the light bulb clicked at coincidentally the right time. Maybe it was the fact that he had to be less worried about getting pulled or whatever. I don't know. Um, but that before, like they got, and then they got hard and they just started blowing teams out of the water. But that's when, when they were able to manage without Mitch, I was like, all right, hold on. You know, like they, they're, they're, they're hanging in there in, in what should have been probably the death knell for their season. Um, so yeah, I mean, that just, I mean, I'll let you finish, but to your point, like this precipitated, I think the way they responded to Mitch Robinson getting hurt, which was as well as you could have hoped. And there had been a little anxiety there because the first two games after Mitch went down, uh, it was Atlanta and somebody they lost and they yeah. gave up like 130 a night. And it was exactly what you were afraid of. Um, I, think numbers, huh? I think there's been a lot. To be said for Hartenstein is probably healthier right now than he's been all season. Yeah. Um, um, because you just see 
He's 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 still he just cracks me up that even even in the net game when literally it's like everything everything on earth is clicking like Hartenstein just there's a little funny magic to him where just things will go wrong around him like at a certain gravity I don't know what it is like he gets the ball underneath sometimes and there's zero percent chance the ball is gonna like something <laughs> someone's gonna slip like he's gonna accidentally but to his credit well, like, smart block was insane that was also just market smart being ridiculous but yeah. yes but that that things doesn't like happen. that right yeah just comedically that would only happen to hardenstein um but he has been yeah wonderful in a variety of ways um i have been struck by i thought of this a lot when i was <coughs> after the nets game um when i was writing the, the recap for it and, and thinking about between the two teams like differences and it's funny to me that the Knicks, even more than two years ago, um, to your point about maybe the vibes haven't been this good since 99, um, even compared to the team like two years ago, there's a sense of um, excitement about not just what they're doing, but like the composition and the ceiling and the sustainability of it. Um, well, I think, I think it's also, I think... Even if you drank the Kool-Aid during that 2020 run, right? Um, there was always a sense that, okay, this is Julius Randle playing way above his head. Um, so you're speaking of your sustainability, but like it was basically Julius Randle, Reggie Bullock having a career, you know, could hit some threes. It was really a Julius, Rose, Julius Randle at a bust, Derek Rose put, putting some punch off the bench. But it was just, it felt more like this is a team that tries really hard it's during a season where a lot of players, a lot of teams are missing important players and this team is playing hard. And I don't want to diminish what that team did, but I think there's a reason why the takeaway from that was Tibbs, whatever your faults are of his X's and O's, he's going to get a team to compete every night and that can raise their ceiling more than you'd expect. This team, I do, I mean, I'll give Tibbs credit. He's made some good adjustments, particularly shortening the rotation, which has made a ton of difference. This team has legit firepower, right? Like, like, they have tons of guys who could go off for 30 in a night. Like, um, you know, like Josh Hart is the proverbial glue guy. But the guy, like, gets to the rim at will. He can hit threes. He can hit tough shots. Um, and he comes off the bench quickly. I mean, I would – I think it, a fun exercise would be how many teams would quickly start for. I think it's 25 legitimately because he can start at either position. Um, you know, and then you have like your third option is RJ Barrett who scores 20 points a game. And as, as rough as it's been at times, it's just, it's a career high in efficiency. Yes. Low bar, but still, um, if that's your third guy, um, you know, you have two guys playing at an all NBA level. You have an all NBA level defensive center, uh, sorry, all defense level center. I believe so. We can discuss that if you don't think so. Um, you know, the, I think the best back bench backcourt in the league. Um, a sniper like the the Bullock role is played by a better version of that in Grimes. This feels like a team that legitimately has a ton of guns, whereas that like if you're talking about an army, this feels more like um, you know maybe not the um, you know it feels like it feels like a powerful powerful army, uh, maybe not the world's greatest, but a very powerful army that's gonna knock you the fuck out. Whereas last time, last year's team or the 2020 team felt like it, like a, like a guerrilla unit that just is no fun to play. 
that's a that's a phrase a lot of people have used about the Knicks and even this season, right? They're not they're no fun to play. They're a pain in the ass. They really grind you, and that's true still. But they also have legitimate firepower, and they are really tough to stop and talented in a way that they haven't been. Even I mean, twenty twelve obviously had Mello and Chandler and and Smith. Oh, I think that's another great follow up question. Uh, I want to let you talk on this, but which team had the better center? I think is a good question. Um, which team would win is another good question. But um, but the point of the matter is, like, even that team was relying on guys like Jason Kidd, uh, even Prigioni, who I loved, was 33. Um, you know, like, Steve Novak. Like, you're relying on these guys who, like, fit well around Mello. Like, the talent on this team is, on, like, overall talent is high. And, and um, you know, you can say Mello is better than Randall, uh, but there's no one like Brunson. Like, like what, we had two legitimate stars. You know, that's been the goal for, like, that's what we have right now. Um, and and bo- in both cases, it feels very sustainable, including Julius. Julius Randle's still only shooting 34% from three. Like, he's shooting better from mid-range, but it's also he's taking way less. Like, the whole thing has been his process has completely changed. So why would I not think it? Like, why would I think it's going to be 2020 again? Um, but to, to the, the big difference to me is, like, that felt like a team that tried really hard every night and got the most out of it in a, a unique season, to say the least. And this team just feels really good, period. So I wrote the other day about how when I think of the Knicks and the Nets comparatively, especially the specifically the KD Kyrie Nets. Was this your uh, your very polite um, monologue on the Nets? Where you just <laughs> this yeah, was... I, it, it was the title was like in French. I don't even think I knew what it meant, um, but it was a very. I was assured it was a very sophisticated. Um, <laughs> French it was, word, so. sometimes a team in Bro- Brooklyn deserves the Bronx cheers. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you actually that that was the original title, and then I had switched it to something else. Oh wow, that was, that was that the was exact title, cool. Bronx cheers. Nice. Yeah, well, that's what we'll call it euphemistically. I, actually, I want to. I do want to highlight a line: <laughs> Eat a dick. Nets Twitter. Nets income. Nets daily. Benjamin Nathan Yahoo. Net Zero, Netscape Navigator. Why is Netscape Navigator catching strays? Come on. Craig Nettles and anything remotely net related. So I got a little bit of feed, a little bit of, um, what's the term? Blowback from fans of Benjamin Netanyahu, apparently. And <laughs> Why do you, I, I see it? <laughs> I will just reaffirm, as I said on Twitter, that um, to make sure that I'm completely clear about this, I wanted to call out Joe Sai, but I thought I'd call out someone worse. You know, that that, that would be the response. Fuck Benjamin Netanyahu. That's why he's in the joke. Um, but there was a there was a part in the piece where I I talked about how. <laughs> Sorry, I got to read. And then one of the replies was, "My brain misread that as Matis Yahoo." I was like, I don't know if I love his music, but he seems like an okay guy to me. <laughs> that was very funny. That cracked me up. So, I mentioned, when you think about the approach that the Nets took to becoming the KD Nets, it was very much the behavior that someone outside of New York City would would view as a caricature of how a New York City team works. Like, the Nets completely, they had a little thing going, and they blew it to smithereens the instant there was the opportunity to bring in this brand name, sleek, like high-rise, 
franchise. Like immediately tore down the old neighborhood, threw it up, sold out everything to it. Everything about it was was excess and um, just big city gravity. And the Knicks, meanwhile, and I don't even think it's all but intentional, but I think you know all teams that have had success building a winner have had luck go into it. So I don't know how much of this was has been the Knicks' conscious intent. But the Knicks have built this really nice thing that they have going, now and forward-looking, around really efficient use of late first-round picks, really efficient use of the free agent market, and signing players to deals that turn out to be... Like, they've signed now two different players who are have played at all-star, if not all-NBA level, um, to deals that are very quickly like, oh, that's a good deal, and that's a good market deal. I if mean, it's not the New York I'm Knicks. Sorry, the last month and a half, like this calendar year, Jalen Brunson has been playing at all-NBA level. He's been playing at MVP level. <laughs> like, yeah. That, yeah. that's what he's been doing. Uh, but yeah. But like, if you take away the New York Knicks, and you have that description of a franchise, but it was the San Antonio Spurs, or it was the Utah Jazz, or it was some smaller team that we're used to thinking of that way. It would make sense. You'd be like, "Oh, what a, what a, you know, yeah, that's how successful franchises do it." The Knicks have done it that way, uh, and I, I have found it very striking um, as the two teams have flipped kind of places right now, um, and also building through the draft, right? What if I, if you added these descriptors, right? Found a potential. I mean, he's not going to make first team all defense, but an elite defensive center in the second round. Yeah, that was the before this front office, but you know they mm-hmm. they've managed his development. Um, they found a potential six men of the year at age twenty three at pick twenty five. They found a starting shooting guard shooting upper thirties and playing high level defense at pick twenty five. Um, you know they for a protected first and a bench player they got. Uh, you know, they, I mean, the Josh Hart move is the kind of move that, you know, if Danny Ainge made it, people would be sucking his dick all day. Um, you know, that, 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 I mean, uh, people were like, first, I don't know. Uh, well, first of all, what's crazy is the Knicks, it, everyone was like, maybe we should have given up the Dallas first, like the Knicks giving up their own first lottery practice. I don't know. The Knicks at this point, it looks like they gave away the, the worst of the two firsts, you know? Because um, right now it looks like our picks, quote unquote, our pick is going to be in the twenties, and, and the Mavs are around seventeen to twenty. Uh, and we might even have two picks because of the Wizards' pick. Um, so you know, they, there's just there's a whole lot of thought. And I think to your point, some of the stuff they did probably look out on. We know that you know quickly was on the trade block, and you know may, who knows if they sold low on him, um, you know maybe that looks different, right? Um, they maybe they they you know there were other draft decisions, but the, the flip side of it is you know there's there's been other things where they've been unlucky. So um, overall, the way this front office's process seems to work in the long run, they're going to be right more often than not, and that's pretty good. Let me ask you this question: I haven't heard anyone bring this up yet, um, and I, I feel okay about it, but I'm just it's weird to me. Um, what is different about Jalen Brunson's season this year than Julius Randle's season two years ago, as far as Randle two years ago performed at this unprecedented level and a year later crashed. Um, 
and showed he couldn't play that way um, and sustain it. Jalen Brunson is having this career season, doing things at an unprecedented level. We're all very happy with it. Um, is there any reason to think this is more sustainable than, or does this, or do we review now? Do we reassess how we view Randall and maybe last season? I'm still torn with Randall. Like, is last season an anomaly? Because Randall is very has been for a while. He alternates years, great year, down year, great year, down year. And, and you know, depending how far you zoom in or zoom out, that could be coincidental. Like, there were other, he was on bad teams before. That might affect things. A lot of things last year with the Knicks went wrong, like not just him. Um, I don't know how to read that pattern, but I don't feel concerned about Brunson. Um, maybe, because, maybe because some of the numbers have shown um, – that some of what he's doing just seems like the progression of a player who's arrived rather than where did this random three-point shooting come from? But you're not nervous about Brunson, I'm assuming. Yeah, I. so that's a great question. Uh, we could definitely talk about Randall as well. Um, the long and short of it, I don't think this is remotely similar. Oh, sorry. That's, that's, it, is, it's, it is him overperforming, but there's a few things, right? I think it's easier to trust when a player has shown you these things and he's just getting a chance to do it more. Like there's nothing Brunson's doing this season beyond maybe taking more pull-up threes that that was unprecedented. He was a career 38% three-point shooter before coming to the mix. Um, you know, if you break down his shooting, right? Um, you know, he was always, he's actually shooting, last year he was shooting 70% at the rim. He's a 69%, nice. Um, finisher at the rim for his career. Um, this year, he's actually down to 60% at the rim, uh, taking 15%, which is not great. Um, he's shooting only 49% from 3 to 10 feet, which is, which is excellent, by the way. I'm not only is, is relative. But, um, you know, last year he was at 52. Um, you know, he's shooting 41% from three, which is higher, and I expect that to come down a little bit. But, uh, you know, like, it's not like... And his shot profile hasn't really changed much. He's still he's taking more pull-up threes. Uh, you know, this year, like the big difference is for his career, he's only 26% of his threes were pull-ups this year. Almost half of them are. Uh, but I think that's also a Knicks thing. Like they encourage that they seek that out in a skill set. And Prez put this Prez put this a good way. You've seen them do this with Josh Hart a little bit where they are good at finding inefficiencies in players shot profiles. Um, so if they believe that a guy like Brunson can really change the game with his pull-up shooting, they're going to look for guys like that. With Brunson and Hearts, it's really worked. Um, so I, I think in terms of a shot profile, stylistically, he's doing the same thing he was doing very effectively his entire career. His efficiency, like, hasn't even really gone up. It's just, it's on just much higher usage, which that in itself is, is an accomplishment. Like, you can't take that for granted ever. Um, but, you know, it, it seems more believable than a guy who just started shooting way better than he ever had in his entire career um, on a very difficult shot profile, right? Um, so that's number one. So going back to Randall, it's tough. I think LA, there was a lot of turnover. They went from tanking teams to going for LeBron teams. Uh, you know, he's playing different roles, playing the four, playing the five. And then he went to New Orleans, you know, playing the four, playing the five, but he wanted to be the guy. He was the guy his first year in New York. It didn't work out. Second year, he shot well. Third year, it didn't work out. Um, and... 
the, the, so what I'm about to say is I generally hate when most commentators and analysts do this. I tried to avoid talking about Julius Randle in these terms last year. Um, I'm not a psychologist. None of us are psychologists. We don't know the man. We don't know what he's like. Um, in the locker room or personality-wise, we see snip- snippets on camera where he looks angry or whatever. So I'm going to preface this by saying all of that. But it seems difficult to believe that his emotional state was not a somewhat of a factor last year, uh, especially relative to this year. There's just a lot more positive energy, right? Or, or maybe we're not seeing the negative energy from him. It seems Brunson's a little less susceptible to that. Um, and then the last thing is, I think they help each other, right? So Randall, Randall, I think, has benefited this year from not having to go it alone. And Brunson also doesn't have to go it alone. Uh, and his weaknesses, you know, are covered up a little, or not weaknesses, but the guys on this team complement him well and allow him to do what he does best. But I do think that's a fascinating question. And my answer is, I think that the front office, I think the fact that he did this in the playoffs without Luka, the fact mm-hmm. that his shot profile is basically the same, the fact that his skill level has obviously always been very high um, and all the shooting indicators were there that he could do it on higher volume. I would be very surprised. I mean, do I think he's, he, maybe he finishes the year at like 38, 39% from three, uh, maybe ups his volume eventually to like hardened levels and gets to like 37% from three or 36% from three. But I don't think you're going to see something like a Julius Randle type 2021 regression. I don't have that sense either. I think some. I think a lot of it, like you said, is um, the what he did in the playoffs. I think showed something. Like I think Randall, like a lot of people, hit the playoffs for the first time and faced um, a level of intensity that he had never seen before, and he struggled with it. Um, do you think? I'm really curious about how Randall's performance or if Randall's performance so far this season, like how much it has impacted people's like perception of what he can be. Um, do you think Sorry, that Julius can Randall that? can be, do you, th- do you think Julius Randall can be the second best player on a championship team? Did you say best player or second best player? Second best. I think it's tough to believe that he can't right now. I, I would say yes. Um, I think it, it would have to be the right player. Um, I think it would have to, it would have to be someone who can, you, you need him next to a creator. So him playing next, like he, he's still like, even, I mean, he gets a lot of buckets that are self-created, but they come off of some kind of ancillary movement. Right. Um, you know, yes, of late, he's been like doing more of those walking into pull up threes, but his decision-making is usually quick and off the catch. It might be a drive. It might also involve a counter and a behind the back, but it's very rarely like he's to, he's doing a lot less Carmelo Anthony, right? The, all the Carmelo Anthony buckets are coming from Jalen Brunson. Randall is acting a lot more like like an Anthony Davis, I guess, or, or a player in that mold who they're self created, but they're they're off of motion. They're you know they're giving him simpler reads. They're asking him to make quick decisions instead of you know doing sophisticated multi combo moves to to get a like get to a spot, beat him there, and then if somebody's late catching up to you, in trying to catch up, they lose leverage and you're too strong for them. If somebody tries to body you, you're too quick for someone who's putting all of their energy into trying to to keep you out. Like in that, like keep things simple. That's all you have to do. And if if there's too many bodies, then pass it. Um, 
so you would need i think he can be the second best player on the championship team i think you need to protect him with a rim protector uh, you need to assume that he can continue to hit open threes um but i think the fit with mitch has been good this year so i think that's fine and but you need him next to a creator um and usually that creator would probably be your best player on the team and what's interesting about the knicks is the the follow up is can jalen brunson be the best player on a championship team uh assuming randall's your second and that's where it's like on the one hand, like since January, he's been playing like one of the top five best players in the NBA. On the other hand, you know, besides Steph, there hasn't really been a player in the modern era who's sub six five or sub six four, um, who is the best player on a championship team. But together, maybe they could do it, uh, especially if they're playing next to an elite defensive center, especially if they have a, a high level shooting guard um, who can hit a ton of threes, especially if they have a wing. I mean. The, the upside in this team, I think, involves RJ Barrett things clicking, right? Maybe he does go on a run the way he did his sophomore year, starts hitting a lot of threes, plays tough defense, and, like, I think he's starting to figure out a little bit. Um, so to answer your question, I think Randall can be the second-best player on the championship team. I think Brunson can as well. And I think you might see one of those guys be the best player on a championship team, Um you know, like they're not that far off, and this is kind of wide open. Would I expect them to win it? No. Uh, and we can talk about that in a second. And then the last thing I'll mention with Randall is the reason, besides the fact that he's much more efficient this year, the reason why I'd be more willing to say yes than I would have been even during his hot 2020 season is, um, is his defense. Um, I think it's tough to win when you have a guy at the four who struggles, but he's, um, you know, he's, he's legitimately a plus. He can switch a little bit on defense. He generally makes the right rotations. You're very rarely seeing the ones. There were so many times where, like, he would collapse into the paint, and then if they kick it out, you see him, like, walk or lumber. Or not even sometimes. You just watch the guy take a three. Um, those are the, the, the things that really had people out on him. You rarely see that anymore. Um, and um, and I, I'm sure, like, you know, Brunson taking some of the, the load off on offense helps, but you know, he's giving you the requisite defense. He's giving you a good shot profile. He can make tough shots. Uh, he keeps the ball moving. He's not some, you know, counting stats guy who hurts the team. Why not? You know, like, if, if you put Randall on the Warriors, he would be their second-best player, right? A Steph-Randall yeah, team, I think, could contend. Um, if you put him... Um, if you put him in... Uh, he, it's debatable. So let's leave Boston out of it. If you put him in Denver, he'd be the second best player. That might not be the cleanest fit because their offensive games are, you know, they take up the same kind of space. But you put him ahead of Jamal Murray. <laughs> um, yeah. So and the West is just a shit show. So the West is a bad example. And then yeah, like I mean, it's it's tough because a lot of the other teams like hat like I don't love the fit. Actually, that would be interesting. Like. If you played Giannis at the five or you played Randall at the five, like that front court could be pretty devastating. I think you'd probably prefer it to be a high usage guard in like the Steph mold or the Dame mold, but I think it could work. Or, or like a, a wing, like, uh, like if Dallas ever did bring Randall home, I think he'd be really fun with Luca. But thankfully, that's not the case. They got someone else from New York. <laughs> By the way, since that trade, the, the Mavericks are one and four. And the Knicks are reaping the benefits as their draft pick is improving. Yeah, there's there's much to talk about um, as far as that whole move goes, and I keep I keep struggling a bit with Dallas because you need them to lose, but you need them to lose like a certain amount. Like 
Yeah. You know, like, I, I, they're, very... they're not going to lose that much to like actually miss the. I don't uh... think so. I don't think so. Just they have the energy. They have the energy to me to me now of a team that could just collapse. Yeah, and then they win the lottery. Like just here's a fun. here's Dallas question for and you. And then if they would get you... Luca and Wemby, that would fucking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly, Mark Cuban is a genius again, even though he's not. Um, would you, as a Nick fan, trade Randall and Brunson for Luca? Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Can you? Can you? It's it's my end. The connection is not great. Can you repeat that? Would you trade Randall and Brunson for Luca? Wow, and I don't have to give up any picks. Not really. Not a devastating amount of picks. You know. Like maybe one a pick? Maybe yeah, maybe a first. first. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that that's, says more about Luca than Randall and Brunson. But right, It does. It does. It I mean, does he's what, 23? Something. He's so good. You're getting potentially a guy who looks like he could finish his career top 10 player all time. Um, You're getting Larry Bird. Yeah. You're getting Larry Bird at 23. That's racist, Matt. Um, but you know, <laughs> say Magic Johnson with a jumper. Um, Magic Johnson had the mini game. Um, yeah, I probably would do that, which puts things in perspective, right? That the Knicks don't have that guy, and I think that's what's fascinating about this team because they're playing about as well as you can be playing without that guy. Yeah, and I feel when I watch them, not to not to harp on the good things. Um, this isn't a complaint, but just watching. Um, you know, if you could, if you just swapped out RJ for like a Luca or even a Paul George, like just slipped RJ out and slipped a guy like that in, the ceiling is enormous. It's all of a sudden. Paul George, I mean, it's interesting what's happening in LA. I the Kawhi seems like even if the team implodes, like he is, like he's he wanted to move to SoCal for a long time. He's from there. Paul George is also an LA guy, but he can be a little bit mercurial. Um, it's very interesting. There's a, there's a lot of guys who you, you take a look and you're like, here's another situation, right? Write down I-95. James Harden has the ability to opt out and be a free agent this summer. And they are one implosion away from that happening. And I'm not saying the Knicks should trade for James Harden. But I will say this. I love Mitchell Robinson. Um. You know, if Joel Embiid is available, Mitch, I hope you like cheesesteaks. You know, that's all I gotta say. Um, right. Even even with the health issue, if it tur- if Joel Embiid turned into Amari Stoudemire, I I would I would live with that. To be honest, it's worth it. He's too fucking good. He's a generational player, and that those are the kinds of guys you're talking about. Um, you know, the same thing with Luca, right? Um, but there are going to be some guys, and and you add them to this core, and. Um, the other thing I, I do want to mention, though, is kind of for all the talk, you know, everyone mentioned a lot. Leon Rose is a CAA guy. He wasn't brought here to do money ball shit. He was brought here to um, to win champ to, to sign high level stars. Mm-hmm. The Knicks have taken very much that kind of an approach, though, because you know, Jonathan Macri mentioned in his newsletter th- newsletter today they're actually a bottom ten team in shooting this year. They're not a good shooting team. Um, but they're top 10 in off or they're an elite offensive team. Why? One, they have good isolation scores, 
But two, Randall has talked about this, right? How they've, or Tibbs talked about this, how with Randall, they tried to change his shot profile to more threes and more rimba depths. And, and Randall, and the way Tibbs said it, actually, you had to love it. He said, it's not no mid-range, but it's being selective about mid-range, right? Um, and if you look at the moves that they've made, it really looks more like how do we create a contending roster by taking advantage of these inefficiencies, right? By taking advantage of the fact that, um, you know, we have maybe the, we can just pound the offensive blast to make up for the fact that we may not have great spacing. Um, we can, you know, have guards that can get to the rim. Uh, all of our guards are, they, I think another Who thing don't is... don't turn the ball over while they're getting to the rim. Yeah, right. So you win the possession battle. This is, this is a common thread with that 2012 team, actually. Don't yeah. turn the ball over at all. And, and we, have, we add to that the offensive rebounding. Uh, their guards all, Grimes doesn't, but Brunson and Quickly are very notable for their efficiency from 3 to 10 feet. That's been the biggest leap in Quickly's game. Um, he took a lot of, he's taking the same amount of shots from 3 to 10 feet he took as a rookie. Last year he took fewer and his efficiency went up. This year he's taking the same amount. As a rookie, he was 39% from 3 to 10 feet. This year it's over 20% of his shots. He's making 52% of them. Um, I wonder how much it helps that the king of that range is his um, is the guy he probably goes up against in practice every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so and so, but a lot has been written about how how the floater is kind of an efficiency, right? Where you know if if you're good at that shot, that's a tough shot to defend. So they have two guys. So they've they've exploited these kind of. It used to be, I think, the first level of analytics, and now this is getting into a little bit of a tangent. But the first level of analytics is like was like what are some of the what are some of the, the, the first level things? Like what kind of shots should you be taking? What kind of, um, you know, what kind of th- skills should you value, right? What, those kind of things. What kind of shots should you be taking? What kind of counting stats provide the most value towards actually winning? Now it's like, you know, what are the things where if you're really good at that, it impacts more than you think? Um, and I think the Knicks have done, I think offensive rebounding, particularly from guards, um, that's where they found that there's there's what that should cost. There's a market inefficiency with that. Guards who can hit floaters and defend. I think there's a, there's an efficiency of that. Um, I haven't talked about quickly yet, which is probably a record um, during a stretch where he's playing well for me to go 37 minutes without talking about Emmanuel quickly. <laughs> um, but so to kind of on that note, 538 had an article last week about Derek White. So Derek White on Raptor, and Raptor is a metric that I have some issues with. For like the advanced all-in-one stats beyond BPM and Darko plus minus, I don't really use anything. Uh, Raptor, I think, especially on defense, I have some issues with their methodology. But um, Derek White in that, in a lot of other stats, shows up as a top 10 player. Derek White is known as a good player. Top 40 probably, maybe top 30 to like, if you're a hardcore guy. He's no, he's no all-star. He's not viewed that way. But I think what it, the point of that article was like a lot of the things that he's good at get captured there. And there's a lot of guys in that mold. Um, they also, in another article, they have written about, they wrote a lot of the same stuff about Quickly. And Quickly fits that mold. Uh, a guy like Kyle Lowry fit that mold. Fred Van Fleet. So what do all of these guys have in common? There's a few things. Number one, they can, they can play on and off ball. Number two, they can all defend. And number three, they can hit pull-up threes and, and they can hit floaters. And guys like that, you know, positionally versatile plus defensive guards who can take shots that um, um, accentuate the offense, 
and create easy opportunities because that floater also creates so many easier opportunities for others, right? Because it forces the defense to defend more space. They can't pack in around the rim um, or they have to send more guys to the nail, which opens up threes. So you're either making lobs easier or you're making kickouts easier. Uh, you're playing on and off ball. So like there isn't like you can fit in with a variety of lineups. Um, you can defend again, can fit in with a variety of lineups. And if you can hit the pull up three, which is kind of the most dangerous shot in basketball, or not the most dangerous shot, but like when a team is hitting that, it, it stresses you more than anything else. Relative to the fact you look at a guy like Emmanuel quickly, or you look like Derek White, and you're like, yeah, these guys aren't John Moran. These aren't jump out of the gym athletes or like 40 point per game scores, but they, it's just skills that make the whole team better. And th- that's just one archetype, but I think the Josh Hart archetype, you know, a 6'5 guy averaging eight rebounds a game, you can shoot, defend multiple positions, average four assists per game without needing the ball in his hand a ton. They've gone for guys like that. Obi, in some ways, with the passing gives you that. Um, so I think they've found these guys who's like some of their skill set is not as, like, um, the totality of their skill set and its impact is greater than the sum. They found a lot of guys like that, as opposed to just the what was thought was going to happen was you sign the biggest name, right? So, and I think that applies to the Brunson signing, right? Yeah, Brunson was a young guy with scoring ability, but you know it was kind of he had these skills that don't get priced the way they should on the market, and um, and now they're reaping the benefits. Is it time to officially declare heart sanity? Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of connections between josh hart's debut and jeremy lynn's and and it's not just he's playing well um if you remember the insanity the insanity wasn't just a matter of a player coming in and playing well it was not even just a matter of a player coming in and excelling at a specific role that that team was specifically lacking in that was a rough year for nick point guards they were trying baron davis they were trying mike bibby they had tried Iman Shumpert right out of college. They were giving him Tony time. Douglas. At that point, Tony Douglas. Like that was not a great point guard laden team. So it, and and Lynn hit that spot perfectly. And it wasn't even just that. It was also there was an energy around this person in terms of how he played. There was an obvious drive for winning that this player had that was affecting people around him. And Josh Hart has that like you watch this guy play for seven or eight games i think seven games and it's unmistakable like at first you laugh you're like oh my god like like his first couple games there were things that would happen and i was like i'm laughing because i'm like boy like you know as if the narrative isn't there enough like that breaks his way or he happens to and then you keep watching him every day and it happens every game. Like it's what he does. Obviously there there will be nights that he will have just off nights as all players do, but you can see that when this player is clicking, this is what he does. And it's, and it's remarkable to me. um, Other than Jeremy Lin, I can't think of a player who just hit this way, like a bomb just right away. Um, It's really remarkable. He's a fan favorite in seven games. He, you know, I think I tweeted this before. He, um, if you told me this guy played for the 90s Knicks and he was in the middle of a series and he just got time travel dropped off here, I would believe that. That's what it really feels like. Like, he just feels like that era level of player. Um, and, um, you know, I think with the Jeremy Lin comp, 
Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. So I think with the Jeremy Lin comp, um, I think I'd be more surprised. So Josh Hart is doing some things that he wasn't doing. He's talked a little bit about how his role has changed here versus Portland. Um, you know, in Portland, he wasn't taking as many threes. He made it clear that as soon as he got here, Tibbs gave him the green light. Um, you know, he, um, he, but so wait, he, I'm sorry. Is there an implication there that, cause his three point attempts plummeted this season from what he did when Portland first acquired him and Dame was gone. And I think, um, I don't know if Simons was injured. Is the implication that Portland told Hart, cut, we don't want you taking, you don't have the green light there because he, I, think, was, I think the way he, he described it, cause, he, cause I mean, he one, two threes. So I think one another thing reason why everyone likes him is Josh Hart is very diplomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went out of his way to say this is not a critique of the Portland Trailblazers organization. He said it was this actually after um, I forget which player, but there was a player who got hurt. You know there was some controversy. He went out of his way to defend the Portland organization, whether you agree with those specifics or not. This is a guy who's very you know who, who takes a very diplomatic high road type of stance. What he said was his role was not to be a three-point gunner, right? It was more as a slasher. It was more, uh, you know, at Portland before he got traded, he was taking 46% of his shots at the rim. Um, so, you know, next to Dame, next to these guys, uh, you know, he was kind of a slasher. Uh, and here what, what they've asked him to do is space the floor for, you know, the next downhill guards. Um, and um, and that's what he's done. And, um, and he's, an, an, again, another guy who... Likes a three to ten foot range, you know. Um, he, he's an elite finisher at the rim, so he's also doing things at a higher level. So, but so the, to answer your question, I think it's less like of insanity because a lot of stuff we've seen him do at a high level before. Um, he's averaged eight rebounds per game for four seasons now. Um, he's actually averaging less now five rebounds. He's only averaging five rebounds per game. Partly part of that is a, is a minutes decrease. Um, but what's crazy is also that. He's averaging 12 points per game in seven less minutes than he was in Portland, where he's averaging nine and a half points per game. So his scoring's gone up. You know, those minutes have gone down. Um, by the way, it's really good that he's just bought into coming off the bench when he started for. Yeah, he's been a starter yeah. since, yeah, the last few years, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who wouldn't take that in stride. He clearly doesn't care about that. Um, uh, now, he's shooting 60% from three. <laughs> That's obviously not going to last. Sorry, Knicks fans. Um, he's shooting 78% at the rim. That's probably going to come down closer to 70 and like on the lower side of that, which is still excellent. He's, he is an excellent finisher who gets the rim a lot, but he's not going to be, you know, the, he's not going to be Zion Williamson at the rim <laughs> the way he's been for the first seven games. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, that's what's, it's just the parallels of insanity is you just dropped him in and like magic. Yeah. It just, there was there was no adjustment period. There was no clunky rotations fit. Like Tibbs knew exactly what to do with him right away, um, and um, and it's just been it's the last time. Actually, will I will say, I don't think Linsanity is the last time I remember it. Actually, the last time I remember someone just seamlessly fitting in like that, or it was the last time the Knicks made a midseason trade or a significant one, um, and that was Derrick Rose in twenty twenty. Um, so that's another question, right? Was this you know, that 2020 season, the Knicks seemed like a team that was going to be in the play-in. 
um, you know, they, they seemed like they had, they were no longer an embarrassment. They were a competitive team, some nice young players, but uh, not a serious, you know, not certainly not a team that would finish, that would probably even clinch an outright playoff spot, let alone finish with the fourth seed. And Derek Rose put them over the top. Do you think Josh Hart is this year's Derek Rose acquisition? It's a little different for me because they were starting, they were playing well before they got Josh Hart. Um, like in a big picture sense, like for the whole season, they were. Um, whereas when they got Derek Rose in in the 2020-21 season, they got Rose right around the time that Mitchell Robinson went out injured. Um, and, and there was a lot of concern that like, oh my God, that's going to tank their year. And like, that kind of coincided directly with Rose getting there and just being brilliant. I feel like Rose was more of a direct, like a moment where things turned with hard. I think they were, they were leveling up and then he just injected them with like, you know, an infusion of leveling up on, you know, the 10th multiplier. Um, It's remarkable. Um, I didn't mention his name because, you know, you don't want to be sacrilegious, but in the annals of Nick history, as far as people arriving and having instant, perfect harmony and impact, of course, Dave DeBusher is the patron saint of those people. Um, Dave DeBusher is a great comp, right? Also, like, tough as nails. I mean, Hart doesn't play the four, but he plays like a four, too, right? He does. Um, yeah, he does. Um, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, he would also fit in well with those '70s Knicks, right? Especially with the ball movement and all that. So, uh, he, I, will, he... I will. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I will say that um, I I would know that if you if you dropped Josh Hart, like I would know he was not a '90s Nick only because he shoots so much better than pretty much all the. 90s <laughs> he percent. would never have a Starks game, right? I, by the way, I think a Starks <laughs> game is coming. So. There's going to be some rough shooting performances. He's not a 60% three-point shooter. But he could, I mean, he was 37% his last year in Portland. So, But he's probably yeah. closer to 36, 37, maybe 35, even with the green light and the confidence and the good looks he's getting, more than, like, what he's been. <laughs> so, but um, he, seem, he seems very happy where he is. Um, yeah, which, I mean, it's only- worth it's worth it noting too like he does have great chemistry with the guys like he's become close with quickly very quickly very quickly uh he's obviously like like got the the bromance that set the internet on fire with um with brunson and there are worse things than getting a really good player who also happens to be your best player's best friend on the team right so maybe they'll get us michael bridges too and uh we need michael bridges to to come across two bridges and <laughs> make it happen and we might need the nets to bring the asking price down a bit from what they were getting yeah, I mean, this isn't it like they've never traded with the knicks in like the last 40 years or something it's some very odd long stretch yeah 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 who would you want to tra- they have some interesting players who would be would you want bridges the most off of that roster who would i want what sorry is Mikhail Bridges the the net you would want the most off of that roster? I think so. I mean, yeah, Simmons. I do think a Brent Simmons reclamation project on the right team could work well. Uh, I seem to remember another six ten player who couldn't shoot but could pass really well and handle the ball like a guard. He did pretty well in San Antonio. 
Um, so I'm not saying Ben Simmons is worse DL, but if there's a coach, but I don't know if Top Pops has the patience for that. Um, I think that, yeah, like if I had my choice, it's easily Mikhail Bridges. Um, I like, there was the whole Nick Claxton, Mitchell Robinson controversy. Um, it's actually an interesting debate. Um, like I can see why people would take Claxton. Uh, I think Ben Ridholz, friend of the Claxton's good. Um, Ben, but they're different players to be honest. Ridholz, friend of the pod had a, had a really good tweet. Like Claxton is more versatile on both ends, but you know, Mitch, Mitch is a better option against burlier guys, right? He has more weight on him and he's probably Mm -hmm. the best rebounder in the league. Claxton himself is a really good rebounder. Um, I think my new thing that I look at a lot in centers is if you're good at defensive rebounding and you rack up a lot of blocks, that probably means you're really good. Um, because I think that there's generally a negative, like slight negative correlation because the more blocks you chase the, you know, your defensive rebound is going to suffer. Right. Um, just because you're not in position. So a guy who does both, like that, Claxton deserves props. I think it probably comes down to team fit, but they are really close. So Nets, there were a lot of Nets fans who were like, that's insane, blah, blah, blah. I was like, hold the L. Um, and I do think that in a head-to-head matchup, Mitch is going to win that more often than that, um, unless Claxton does, develops like a, a better jump shot or something. Um, but Claxton is up there in terms of talent, but Mikhail Bridges is like one, like the perfect fit. Like if you're, like, like either even whether he plays next, whether he takes RJ spot or Quentin Grimes' spot, the one thing this team is missing is like a truly defensively versatile three. Like Hart is giving them a little bit of that because of his strength. But like someone with the length of Mikhail Bridges who can also op- hit a bunch of open threes, create his own shot in a pinch. Yeah, that would be. I think it's it's pretty clearly him. And then, um, but in terms of more realistic options, there is a CAA client who CAA likes a lot, who plays there, uh, by the name of Cam Johnson, whose name has been on the trade block a lot. Uh, I don't know when he becomes a free agent, but I think you could probably play him. It becomes tricky because he's a 4 but he might be the kind of guy you could play him as a 3, and you can give him minutes as Randall's backup 4, since it's not going to be a lot of minutes a game anyway. Um, so, you know, uh, he is apparently a restricted free agent, this summer with a qualifying offer of $8 million, it'll be interesting to see what the Nets do with him. My guess would be they'll make him the qualifying offer, probably match up to 20. Um, so it's probably not an option, but Cam Johnson would be the other guy I would mention as a more realistic option. But if I had to pick one, it's pretty clearly Mikhail Bridges, and I don't think it's close. When you talk about Claxton and versus Mitch, I get a little bit of a Mobley, just Jared Allen thing, where I think Mobley's more talented overall than Jared Allen is, but I think there are certain fundamental things that Jared Allen's just bigger and better at than Mobley. Um, I think Jared Allen, which is Mitch, is a good conversation too. Because <laughs> Mitch had a little bit of a regression and everyone's like, what did we ever think Jared Allen and Mitch were on the same level? And now it's like, Mitch has been better this year, flat out. One of the great like underrated like foundational pieces of this season's success is that Mitchell Robinson got the big contract that he was waiting for and has been better since he got it. Um, Which is the last thing everyone expected. Like most of the talk was about, you know, there's, I don't want to say, I don't think people went so far as to call them character concerns. The word somebody closer to the situation told me, and not to say I have sources, but somebody who does said the word described was goofy. Yeah. 
Um, Which when you have like five agents in four years, it will raise eyebrows. Yeah. But I, but I, so like, and then, cause I specifically asked, well, is this work ethic in question? And everyone like, who's everyone, I think, whether I've asked them or just talk about it, no one I think has ever questioned his work ethic. Uh, I think they question kind of the direction. Uh, and, you know, some of it is unfair, right? Like, if the guy is posting himself shooting threes, that doesn't mean he didn't just spend three hours working on his post moves, right? That doesn't mean he didn't spend, you know, a bunch of, like, right. he's reshaped his body. Like, he's put on a, like, remember who he was as a rookie? He was getting shoved under the hoop on defensive rebounding opportunities. Had no right. idea to box out. Now he's, again, maybe the best rebounder in the league. But I think that, you know, the idea that he would just, not only take this contract and maintain his production, but actually raise it to another level. Uh, I do think that caught a lot of people off surprise. And you're hearing a lot less people say, oh, man, we should have taken Jill and Duran, blah, blah, blah. Nah, man, we got we got one. Uh, and unless we're getting Embiid or, or maybe DeAndre, and that's our guy for uh, – that's the guy I'm going to ride with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they had a rough stretch earlier this season, and I remember th- saying at the time, like, second trade, Mitch – because I thought it was the easiest path to an instant upgrade and that, like, Jericho Sims could roughly approximate, between Sims and Hartenstein, you could roughly approximate a lot of what Mitch does, but Mitch this season has elevated him. Like, Jericho Sims is not on Mitchell Robinson's radar as far as, as, yeah. far as impact. It's not, it's not an indictment, obviously, of Jericho Sims, just saying, like, Mitch is that guy. Yeah, I mean, Jericho Sims is a young player. I think it's clear, like, when he was given, you know, when he started over Hartenstein, he wasn't quite ready for primetime minutes every night. Uh, I think he's developed well. Uh, he's certainly given them value beyond the 50th pick already. Um, but he has, I mean, even when he learns the game better, and when I say that, I mean to an NBA vet level, right? I'm not saying the guy, like for, for a 24-year-old, 23-year-old, it's fine. It's just to get to that level, he needs to, to date better. But he also has certain physical shortcomings. He's 6'10", listed, probably closer to 6'9". He just has freakish hops and long arms, but Mitch has advantages he'll never have. And the thing with Mitch is, like, you do need, like, that kind of a rim protector, if your best two players are going to be Jalen, if you, or if two of your starters are Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, so a four who's not really a rim protector and a one who has you know massive defensive shortcomings, you do need a guy like Mitch, and you need good perimeter defenders around them. And the Knicks have made that work. So me, like going back to the question you asked before, like those answers are a little bit conditional on the team you surround them with. Which, in fairness, I think when you say a guy can be the second best player on a championship team, by implication, I think you're saying that there's you know, a, a customized roster you would need. But, um, you know, um, yeah, it, it's clear how important Mitch is to this team. And, you know, him and Emmanuel quickly have been trading basically the on-off title back and forth all year. You know, I think the Knicks are about eight points better when with each of them. Uh, and another hallmark of Tibbs is he's actually staggered them a lot. Because, <laughs> like, someone posted the Knicks' top lineups, and either Mitch or Emmanuel quickly is in all of them, like the top two-man lineups. But... Um, if you look like Mitchell Robinson and Emmanuel quickly aren't up there because they just haven't played enough minutes together, um, which is, I think that'll change in the playoffs, but I think Tibbs intentionally staggers them because you have one, I think it's fair to call Emmanuel quickly an elite defensive player at this point, given his impact. You have one elite defensive player and also not just the elite defensive player, but those are the, like when those guys are in the game, they're the ones quarterbacking the defense. They're the ones who talk the most. 
They're the ones making the calls. They're the ones who often make a read that's a step or two ahead of the defense. Um, so he, one of them is always out there. And, um, but Mitch's impact has just been phenomenal. And, um, and I think it, it makes that, it takes that Brans, Brunson and Randall duo to another level because it allows them to do things. Um, it allows them to play to their strengths and, and mitigates maybe some of the things they're not great at or, or mitigates, I would say more things that they don't give you. Like, I don't think Randall's a bad rim protector. It's just, you need someone to provide it in your lineup if he's going to be your four, because he's probably not going to do that much of it. Speaking of four, uh, the Knicks later tonight in their sudden pursuit of the four seed um, will be playing the Miami Heat, who are a little bit less of a concern than they were seven games ago. So keep an eye out for that game. Um, we're good for this episode now. Um, Stacey Patton, very good to be back in contact and touch with you and um, look forward to talking to you again very soon about hopefully a eight or nine or 10 game winning streak. Um, everybody, thank you for joining us and we will be back in a few days. Take care. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the five-hour energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.